week on the road for Norwich City that has seen more questions than answers emerge. And as we pause for the international break, it feels like it's come at the right time for Norwich City. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. Uh, I'm kind of Southall, joined by Paddy Davitt to reflect on a week that saw Norwich City pick up one point from a possible six on the road and see maybe frustrations grow uh, increasingly louder. It's now one win in six for Norwich City um, and that has posed quite a few uh, questions and I think we saw a very frustrated away end at the CBS Arena yesterday uh, at their level of performance. Paddy, uh, we, we closed the podcast last week by um, talking about how many points we no, felt no, Norwich no, City would get from, from, from two away games. Uh, I think we both went with four. Uh, it's one. What does that tell us about the the week that's been for, for Norwich City after what was a much-needed win against Birmingham last week? Well, but it's below par. Um, clearly, one point on the road from two games against, let's be honest, teams who you are certain, I certainly wouldn't put them in the Leicester bracket in terms of the they're the benchmark in this division. Um, and to return back to Norfolk with one point, and OK, we can drill into both games and... At Swansea midweek, that game was there for the taking. Second half, Norwich were in control. Um, didn't take their chances. Not clinical enough. Got punished. And you could, you could to a lesser extent, in terms of how many chances they created at Coventry. But 1-0 up, going into the closing stages, had the odd chance to add to that lead, hadn't taken it. And uh, not clinical enough, get pegged back. And, uh, you know, what should have been... I think feasibly a four to six point haul was turned into one. And as you rightly say, you touched on it, there, Connor. Um, reaction from elements of the away end was sadly uh, not what we want to hear, see, read about on social media. And it all flows into this sense of drift um, and a season which is firmly stalled. And uh, we'll get into that in due course. But uh, yeah, there's no, there's no dressing up any which way you look at it. It's been a very poor week for Norwich and probably now a prolonged poor period. One win in six um, isn't going to get the job done. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I think Adam Harvey put up a clip on social, final whistle, and it, and it was just stark to see the numbers. You know, played 11 as it is now in the championship, won five, two draws and four defeats. I mean, that screams average. And, uh, and maybe we'll get into in the course of this podcast, is it the players are average as a collective? Is it David Wagner's average? Is it his coaching team are average? Or is it a, an amalgam of all of those? But you take that fairly sizable sample now of championship action from this group and this head coach and this staff, um, and it's, it's only going to end if it was to continue for the remainder um, in, you know, Certainly, nothing it would involve a top six conversation. It's going to be average, and uh, an average wasn't. I don't think where anybody was after the start that they had this season. Certainly, where they, where we felt the limit of the horizon was. So, there's a little bit of a sobering reality now descending on what's possible, maybe for this group of Norwich players and this head coach, and um, just working through that and seeing if there is a way through it and how they get through it because this current. Evidence would suggest, um, you know, something will have to change. Yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, it does feel, particularly in the last week or so, probably probably even more so before that. But I think obviously the longer a run prolongs, prolongs the the longer a mood kind of settles, and 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 this kind of feels like it's settled negatively. And there's a lot of people who are uh, concerned, uh, maybe even worse than that, accepting of the direction that that Norwich City are going. I don't mean accepting as in accepting the standard of it, but more accepting that that's where they're leading rather than accepting as in terms of happiness with it. I think there's there's some some trends that we can link the 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 Swansea game and the Coventry game together with because I felt they were they were kind of different performances. I, I kind of agree. I felt Norwich were better at Swansea than they were at Coventry, yet they probably came closer to winning at Coventry and not Swansea. And that's um that's the beauty of football, I, I guess. And I spoke about this a little bit in my in my verdict. And it was interesting to hear David Wagner touch upon it and say, well, you know, if Norwich would have won the game at Coventry 1-0, the feeling would have been completely different. And of course, that, there's an element of truth in that. You win a game of football. And uh, I remember Dean Smith saying, it, actually, uh, a win is the best sticking plaster in football that you can have. But it would have been a sticking plaster, I think, because they didn't play well at Coventry. Uh, and, and we'll get into all the reasons as, as to why that was. But I think I think that there are trends, and, and we spoke about this just before we hit record. Norwich have given up more than twenty shots in both of those away games. Um, they they've conceded late goals in both of those away games that have cost them points. One at, uh, at Swansea and, and and three at Coventry. Let's let's start with the latter of those, and then we'll come to the the, the former. But the latter the game management aspect of, of football matches. John Rowe said uh, to, to me yesterday in Chris Gorham that he didn't feel that Norwich managed the game very well in that final 20 minutes. They got sucked in, they invited pressure, they couldn't get the ball up the pitch. Um, that eventually led to commentary just barraging their, their their box with crosses. And if you do that enough, somebody somewhere is going to make a mistake. Unfortunately, it was Ben Gibson, who I, I have a degree of sympathy for because I felt him and Shane Duffy and Mark Robbins labelled it emergency defending, which I quite like. Uh, they, they did that pretty well. Everything that came into the box prior to that, they headed it away. They cleared it. There was some excellent block um, blocking. Uh, but it only takes one, doesn't it, when you when you have a game plan like that. And I think maybe what's concerning from a Norwich perspective is this is an aspect of the game they were meant to be better at. They brought in players specifically designed who were meant to be better to manage these situations and to withstand adversity. So that probably comes back to the question that you were saying, Paddy, in terms of this game management aspect. Is it just the quality they have in the group and where they're at with that? Is it the coaching team? Is it a mixture of both? Where are you at on the game management aspect? Because you could probably argue, and you said it there, on Wednesday there was a game there to be won. And certainly yesterday there was a game there not to be, you know, not uh, certainly in the closing stages that Norwich could have managed a lot better. Um, two games that Norwich could have won and they haven't won either. Late goals, game management, what are your thoughts? Well, exactly. All, all of the above. I mean, it is an issue and um, it rests partly with the players, but increasingly for me it's Wagner and his coach it's Wagner and his coaching team sorry for me for me I mean, and the killer stat in all of that um reprise you put out there Connor was they've gone to Swansea they've gone to Coventry and they've conceded over over in both games 20 chances now I think that what's saving them at the minute really as as poor as the the, the output is in terms of results and performances and, and points accumulation is that the championship by and large Collectively, I know, I know, don't want to generalise too much, but the, the quality in terms of the attacking areas and the strikers and the finishing is, you know, nowhere near in terms of Premier League level. So they're not going to get as 
they're not going to get punished to the same degree. If they did that in the Premier League, you're walking off and you and, and they have done. Obviously, the last two times I've been in that league, got some serious hammerings. Although, you know, Plymouth were fairly ruthless on, on, on not too recent an away day. But um, so structurally, out of possession, away from home. One win now in six away from home in the league. You know, that's that tells you uh, two defeats, I think it is, and three draws. You know, structurally, what they're trying to do, either the players don't grasp it, the players aren't good enough to execute it. David Wagner and his in-game management, and uh, there's a lot of made about the substitutions and, and when he's doing it and how formulaic it is. And is it improving anything? I, I think it probably was more coincidence than than a reflection on David Wagner that it was within a minute of Danny Bart going on and then trying to change the defensive shape um, that Ben Gibson did what Ben Gibson did. So I think that was more of a coincidence rather than a byproduct. But obviously it didn't help, and it opens him up to, to more scrutiny in terms of you know the the in-game decisions he's making. But pair this part of this discussion back. If you're going to Swansea and you're going to Coventry and they're not two of the better teams in the Championship and you're giving them 20 chances, 23 chances, something's wrong. Some Something somewhere is wrong in terms of the structure. I mean, he spoke yesterday about that was the, the game plan and he was happy how they executed it, that they had a low block, they invited Coventry on, let Coventry have the ball and then they wanted to be good in transition. And to be fair, John Rowe's goal was, was a little element of that, but you know, Mark Robbins made changes and, and his changes did affect the game. Milan Van Erwick, the, the, the player that brought on the wide player, he, I mean, he was excellent. It was his cross that Ben Gibson headed behind. That was another shot that Duffy sort of cleared off the line, although maybe the angle, one of the angles suggested it was just going wide of the far post. But he really did inject something else within a, a home display in that final 20, 25 minutes that was just, it was just relentless towards Angus Gunn's goal. And okay, you know, Angus Gunn maybe had a couple of long range attempts from Josh Eccles to deal with. And it seems for David Wagner that that, that somehow is um, is a positive, that, that Norwich's inviting of pressure um, didn't really relate to, to Angus Gunn having to pull off a series of world-class stops. But it seems a bit of a fatalistic you know, approach that, that you're just going to sit there, you're just going to sit there, you're going to try and block, you're trying to head things away. And for the most part, yes, his point is right. If if Ben Gibson doesn't do what Ben Gibson does and the rest of that game played out and Norwich walk off the pitch with a clean sheet away win, the mood is different and, and the mood is transformed. But they didn't and they're falling the wrong side too often now in this period. So if they're falling the wrong side more often than not, then something is wrong. It, it isn't, uh, isn't bad luck, is it, to, to continually be coughing up 20-plus chances when you go away from home and, um, you know, basically putting so much pressure on that back line because I think it is a little unfair just to, as increasingly happen, is happening now, the focus is on Gibson and Duffy. I think it's more structural than that. It's where's the midfield protection? You know, Zara and McLean again, for me on occasion, um, not offering that protection as we saw most vividly at Plymouth when when the sea parted and, uh, and they were exposed, compounded by their own individual defensive errors on that day. But no, I, th- I think... Um, and go back to what I said at the start, you know, maybe the players are just not good enough, um, but maybe the head coach and his coaching template isn't good enough. And and as I put to him after the game on Saturday, you know, they now have two weeks freed from the pressure and the relentlessness of the championship schedule that has to be used and maximised. And they really have to sit down and ask themselves some tough questions in terms of Wagner and his coaches. Look, We've got this group of players. This is the group we've got to work with. You know, 
and in his defence, he's not talking up Sergeant and Barnes and uh, what are we going to do? You know, he hasn't offered that as an excuse that that is the situation. They're not alone as a football club having to deal with injuries to key players. But part of that, that they know what they've got to deal with in terms of personnel between now and those two being fit and available. They have to come up with something that's better away from home, particularly Carrow Road, less so. You know, conversely, I think it's five games at Carrow Road now, four wins and one defeat. That defeat was to Leicester and who for me are the standout team in this division. And they were probably unfortunate that night um, not to get something. So the, the contrast couldn't be more marked. You know, it looks like Carrow Road, they have come up with a, a robust strategy, even allowing for no sergeant, no Barnes. But away from home, I'm sorry, but, you know, if you're going away from home and giving a home team 20 plus chances, don't expect to win too many games of football. Yeah, and, and I, I often don't like using shots as a statistic because shots can be from anywhere, right? So it's about ultimately where you're conceding these shots and, and what they're leading to. I've just had a look now. I've counted 13 efforts, including Ben Gibson's own goal, that, that were shots that came from inside their penalty area. And of course, there's an element of, of game state in that because Norwich were looking to protect a lead. So naturally, commentary were looking to 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 come onto them to try and score an, e an equaliser, evidently. But as you say, Paddy, that is not sustainable. And I think where you lose the benefit of the doubt is if this becomes a one-off type of performance, obviously the run of form that they're in away from home, um, the the kind of trend with that Swansea game as well for different reasons, it, it is a concern. And actually, I mean, Paddy, you, you delve into the, the second half statistics a little bit more and they just paint a really grim picture, to be honest. And like I said, I know Norwich had a lead. I know they were trying to protect the lead. But even so, I look at some of the statistics, uh, whether you like expected goals or, or, or whether you don't, Norwich got dominated on on that, really. Um, but but more so, and again, using shots because they're, they're pertinent here, really. Norwich had, had two in that second half, didn't record a single one uh, on target. I don't think they had a single corner in the game, which I've, I've seen debated in, in different areas. It, it just all points to maybe a lack of control that, that they had. And, and maybe that best period of control that they had was in that that second that first spell of the second half where uh, they basically had a four v two against Coventry in their own half and Coventry fans were getting increasingly frustrated with that. Mark Robbins then makes a change; they go to almost a three v three, and and his changes impact the game. And they're probably bemoaning the fact that they haven't won it. In fact, he was after the game; he felt that his side should have won that game and should have won it fairly comfortably. And more so on his words, is the most damning aspect of this game as a whole what Mark Robbins said about Norwich City after the game in that. And he said it beforehand. They don't have a good record against Norwich in, in his tenure. I think they before to um before yesterday's game, they'd managed one point, which arrived in that COVID season at Carrow Road, where Norwich really did have an injury crisis. I think Marco Stephenman was was playing as a striker that day, and he said that 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 is the best that his side has has played against a, a Norwich team. But that feels more about Norwich maybe than it does about his Coventry side, which is much changed and without the likes of Gustavo Hamer and and Guy Koresh. And I think you could see the disjointed nature of it at points yesterday. Yeah, and we talked about it on the way home. And essentially what Mark Robbins said was very clearly what Alex Neal said when Norwich went to Stoke at the, towards the end of last season. And, and he was a bit more damning and obviously had a bit more bite to it because he was a you know a former Norwich manager himself that he'd never seen a Norwich team set up in that manner um against one of his sides, you know, since he'd left Carrow Road. And you know, ultimately if David Wagner wants to go that route but can do it successfully and the results bear it out and the players he has available right now are able to do that, 
then, as I say, the, the results would be better, certainly away from home. And um, and I'm sure if you're a Norwich fan, at least you know, right, this is how he likes to set his teams up away from home. But we also know it's going to be residually effective away from home. Uh, then crack on. Allied to, obviously, doing what they're doing at Car Road, which is, you can't debate, you know, four wins from five. That's that's excellent. That's as good as anything in the division. So that, that would be a, you know... Uh, a, a, a probably a template that would would keep them in and around the conversation, but you know, if if it's going to produce one win from six away games, and uh, you know the manner of how they're sort of clinging on for dear life, both against Swansea and Coventry, and and that, I don't think that's sustainable. Clearly, uh, and it's proving now the results are proving it's not sustainable. Um, you know, I mean, I go back to Southampton where. It wasn't too dissimilar in terms of what he was trying to do in terms of a low block, let Southampton have more of the ball and then hit them in transition, hit them with counters. But unfortunately, and this is out of David's control, he had Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes leading the press and doing it to such a level that it was so effective because when they won the ball through what those two were able to do individually and collectively and their understanding of that role, they're winning the ball a lot higher up. You know, it's it's one thing to turn the ball over in the opponent's own defensive half um because then you know you then you're in and around the final third then and and we saw that demonstrated visibly that day um but if you're turning the ball over in front of Shane Duffy and and Ben Gibson it's a lot harder to progress the ball then particularly with the personnel they've got at the moment um you know we've had this debate about Adam Eder isn't a Josh Sharp Sergeant clone in terms of general play or Barnes for that matter and um I don't think Quang is now from what we've seen from him. And that lack of presence in terms of what David is trying to do, I think, out of possession is increasingly becoming an issue that they need to solve because you're not getting Barnes or Sargent back to solve it for the next period of time. Um, that's not to jump on the Adam Eder is a waste of time bandwagon, which, again, I've seen in pockets of social media since Saturday's game. He, he needs to be better supported and... Yes, there was one or two occasions yesterday where a little bit on his heels, you know, there was a Gabi Zara cross, there was a uh, Sam McCallum cross. Following on from that cross, Poeta fired into him uh, against Swansea. So, you know, I'm not absolving him in any way, shape or form. But if you look at his goal return this season, uh, it's it, you wouldn't question it really. Um, but he isn't going to offer you what Josh Sargent or Ashley Barnes would do in terms of general play, in terms of out of possession. And it's the old don't keep banging your head against the brick wall because it's going to it's going to hurt and it's going to keep hurting you need to do something different and that for me is on David Wagner and his coaching staff I mean I even put that point to him two or three weeks ago because it is now Ida primarily who's going to lead the line do you have to do something different in terms of your setup and the structure and his answer was no essentially these players know what we're trying to do we've worked on it since pre-season onwards they, they understand it so we, whoever comes in and goes out again they know the requirements on them, but you know that that's a mean probably needs now to be rethought because it's it's pl- plainly not working. If the measure is one win in six away from home, because that's not going to change. If you keep doing the same things they're doing with this group of players under the instructions of this head coach, it's not going to change. So you know let's not be stubborn about it. Something needs to change dramatically for Norwich to go away from home in the championship with this group of players and come up with a template which doesn't have them clinging on for dear life as they go into the final stages of games. 
Yeah, and, and and look for balance. I'm sure if if David Wagner was was here and he was joining us on on this podcast, and he's always welcome to do that. Um, if if he if he wants to make his case, but I'm sure he would say, well, look, we've lost four games in a row. We had to we had to try and well, we had to ensure that we didn't lose a, another because that would have been even more detrimental to the mood, to the players' confidence as well. I, I'm sure he, he I'm sure would also offer up Coventry's home record. Which I, I think in isolation are valid, solid arguments if you want to take the game in isolation. But it's it's the bigger picture that I think is causing the concern. And it, it feeds in exactly to that point that you made there in terms of them feeling like they're clinging on for dear life. Uh, and, and that's been the case in, in, in a few games recently. This kind of sustainability point. It's not a sustainable way to win football games. It, it is if you want to get a point in isolation, as Norwich did yesterday. Fine. As they did at Stoke last season when they got that nil-nil draw. Fine. But if, if you want to be in the championship challenging for a playoff place or better than that, um, you have to, your team has to be offering something. You have to try and win a game of football. You can't be there to not lose a game of football. In isolation, you can do that here and there against teams that are better than you. Um, and, and I think that's probably where the source of the frustration comes from, Paddy. It's, it's people looking at the bigger picture, looking at the long term. And I think this, this probably feeds into a whole wider debate about Norwich City at the moment and, and maybe everything feeling a little bit short-term rather than, than, than long-term. And there's loads of reasons as, as to why that is. But is the problem here that David Wagner is getting caught in looking at a game in isolation and, and not considering, obviously, the, 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 the context around that, which is which is one win from six on the road? Well, maybe, I, mean, mate, I mean, obviously, after Swansea, that made it three straight defeats in the league on the bounce. You could, if you want to, throw Fulham in there or not. But so, yeah, I take your point. Maybe he looked at Coventry, you know, playoff finalists, penalty kick or two away from the Premier League last season. That They lost, as you rightly said, their two key attacking spearheads, but they've spent serious money for them, serious money for the championship, uh, 19, 20 million over the summer um, to improve that squad. And speaking to some of the Coventry media personnel, you know, there's no doubt they expect to be challenging uh, in the top six and Robbins will need to deliver that. Um over the next period of seasons, um, for him to you know still be be in charge there. So maybe looking at all of that um, in the round, then then you, you you could understand David Wagner going there with that approach to be essentially you try and break us down, and then we're going to hit you on the counter. And in the first half, I didn't have an issue with it. You know, Norwich started brightly. There was. Puerta looked good um, in terms of carrying, you know, the, the game and stretching it down the left-hand side. Ida was getting supported um, in and around the box. Gibbs, um, as he showed for the goal, you know, that, that was a quality piece of play. It was also to, to win the ball back as well, if you watch the full full break-up uh, or the breakdown of that goal. Uh, and then the awareness to, to back heal it for Stacey. And at that point, perfect. Um wouldn't have an issue with that. You know, Coventry going at half-time, their fans are frustrated. You know, you keep that going in the second half, they would probably get on their backs. Um, but they didn't keep it going. And this is this is my argument. You know, Mark Robbins has affected the game with his changes. Yes, of course, there's going to be an added urgency from the home players because they're trailing and every passing minute, um, you know, adds to that urgency. The, the fan base are obviously, you know, with a little bit of encouragement, they raise the decibel levels. And you, but you factor all that in. You know full well that it's coming second half. So Norwich needed to, from what they did in the first half, they needed to step it on again, retain that template in terms of the approach they wanted to adopt. But they needed to go again. I mean, David Wagner said 20, 25 minutes in that second half, they controlled the game and they just didn't kill it off, you know, in reference to Liam Gibbs' chance. But 
than maybe the Zara cross that, that Ida just didn't quite anticipate and wasn't there in the right place. But I, I don't really agree with that assessment that, that, you know, they had huge amounts of chances to, 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 to kill that game in the second half. What happened was they basically, you know, we have what we hold. It, it felt like, and they just re- retreated and retreated and retreated and essentially um, dug in in front of Angus Gunn for the last 20, 25 minutes of that game. And, um, you know, it did take obviously an aberration from Ben Gibson. So you again, if you want to, it's the glass half full, glass half empty. If you want to go along the route that, but for Ben Gibson doing that, Norwich's template would have worked, and they'd walked off the pitch with a clean sheet win. Then fine, but uh, I'm not buying that. No, because we saw that three or four days previous at Swansea, where they were one-one, firmly there to go on and win that game, and the reverse happened. Swansea inevitably roused themselves. It was a 10-15 minute spell. You've got Shane Duffy clearing balls off the line. You've got Angus Gunn excellent uh, reaction stop um, and it just became an inevitability and that's what these last two away games have felt like. An inevitability that Norwich will get pegged back um, and at Swansea it cost them anything and Coventry it cost them two points. So you know that's why I feel now that the spotlight is firmly on Wagner and his coaching staff that they, they need to to do something different. In those situations, again, 70 minutes on the clock at the CBS, you won the lot, but Coventry are making changes and they're trying to rouse themselves, counteract it, try and do something to counteract it, both in terms of your substitutions and in terms of what you're asking your players to do on the park. And obviously, you know, that's not to absolve those players. There's a lot of experienced players on that pitch. They know they've been in those situations before. And this goes back to the whole mentality thing that underpinned the summer transfer window that, when they find adversity, when their backs are against the wall in games, they can't be looking to the sidelines for David Wagner to guide them. They need to step forward themselves. So it's not all on David Wagner and his coaching staff. Those players need to have a look at themselves as well. Um, but collectively, uh, what they're doing in those situations, on not just one game, but over you know a, a number of away games now, because we, we could get into Plymouth, you know, a complete heads gone situation there at Plymouth. But even that first half at Rotherham couldn't powerless seemingly to, to escape the suffocating front foot aggression that Rotherham displayed in the first half. There is a pattern now. here. It's not enough to just isolate Coventry and, and put the context around it that they'd lost three previous away games and Coventry are good at home. No, for me, that is another link in a chain which is essentially a regressive trend. And, um, you know, it, it does need to change because you cannot rely on Cara Road form bailing them out because they've got some very tough-looking fixtures the other side of the international break. So, and and in all of this, and we've not really touched on it. We we touched on there was a little bit of frustration, but it's where are the where is the fan base at now? You know, not just the away fans, but the, the home fans. And if you're a home fan who's you've just gone to the home games this season, you're probably quite happy with what you've seen. You've seen winning football. You've seen in a a marked contrast from the Cara Road productivity towards the end of last season. But how long does that insulate them from not performing and not delivering away from home? So, as always with these things, we've seen it with the end of previous tenures in terms of managerial situations. Uh, the weather vane is and always will be the fan base. And, uh, the, you know, there is clearly now you can detect it, um, whether you're inside an away stadium, uh, as we were at Plymouth and Coventry now, um, or on social media. And, you know, you always caveat. Social media is a place that you, you take take the complete barometer of the temperature of the Norwich fan base, but they're not happy. They're not happy with what they're seeing from this group of players and this head coach, and and it's just where we go with it from now and how fast it accelerates. And hopefully, 
as I say, you've got two weeks now to come up with something that is better than what they're producing away from home. Just to, to finish this segment on, on Coventry, I, I want to bring up this graph, which uh, <laughs> doesn't make for great listening. I, I accept that. But this is uh, what is known as a momentum graph. Uh, a graph, sorry. And what this essentially shows is who is on top in a game at any given moment. And uh, obviously the, the blue kind of peaks in, in, in this graph are Coventry and uh, the green ones are Norwich. You'll notice there are only four peaks for Norwich. One of those came when they scored. Uh, one was relatively early and then uh, two in the second half. But beyond that, it is wave after wave after wave of Coventry momentum and pressure before the goal and after the goal as well. And this, again, feeds into the the, the kind of debate as to why I think we, we can talk about it because... Norwich weren't great before before they scored a goal. It wasn't like they scored a goal and then they they reverted back to defending and trying to contain because they were kind of doing that anyway. And that was because Coventry were forcing them to. So I just think that's a really interesting graph to kind of back up what we what we've said here in terms of Norwich City's display and and obviously the the wider context of it. And I think you you've teed up there, Paddy, um, the debate that probably is now occurring about David Wagner because it's happening. We've seen it play out on social media. I've heard it and had it from, from Norwich City fans subsequently um, in the flesh and, uh, and online as well. You see it on forums. You, you see it everywhere. This debate now is happening about, about David Wagner. It's probably accelerated because of obviously the news that, that Norwich City have a new sporting director uh, in, in Ben Napa from Arsenal. And we are probably going to, uh, well, we are, I don't know why I said probably, we are definitely going to do a separate podcast later this week discussing his appointment, what it means, the ramifications for it, etc. We just didn't want to sort of crowbar into, in, uh, into a, a main pod. So we will come into that later in the week. So look out for that. But this is this is happening now. I mean, his his record. He's now had thirty five games in the job. Uh, what, what I would add, just for context as well, is that both at Schalke and Young Boys, uh, he had he had forty league games in charge of both of those before he uh, before he left his his position. Um, so it's uh, it's fourteen wins, seven draws, fourteen defeats for David Wagner, um, which is a, a lower win rate than he than he had at Young Boys, but but higher than, than he had at Schalke. Um what what do you make of where he's at? It's it's a funny old position that, that he finds himself in because of obviously all the off the pitch context that, that you can wrap into where he is. There is an argument to say obviously he's he's had to contend with a lot of issues. Obviously he inherited a squad that that was where it was at, but that doesn't mean he's culpable of what happened towards the end of of last season. I think it's now six wins in 22, I believe, um, if, if you want to extend that over the course of, of last season, because obviously we've now had 11 games this season and uh, it was one win in 11 at the back end of last season. So there's, there's kind of parallels there. Um, what what do you make of, of, of where he is at, Paddy? I guess that's, that's the question because um, there's a lot of context, I think, as to why he's where he is. But I think you hinted at it there. It does feel like there are sections of the fan base now rightly wrongly justly unjustly who feel like we're we're heading to a conclusion yeah i I'd, I'd agree with that um and and you've mapped out the the overall wagner uh, reign you know it isn't just as i think you know we we tried to you know when it was unbeaten in six at the start of this season it wasn't you know well that's that's the corner turn now and we can Consign what happened at the back end, particularly of last season, one win in eleven, and unable to score goals, and able to, you know, show any sort of backbone when they faced some adversity home or away. Um, that that that, unfortunately, now we've we've you've rolled it on in the next six or seven games, and you've taken one win from 
06. Um, is it now increasingly the anomaly was was with the first six games of this season? And uh, and the only way that that definitively gets put to bed again is that it has to turn and has to turn pretty quickly because, as I say, ultimately it feels that they're not functioning. They're not as a, as an as a chat. I mean, if if you're hopes or expectations for Norwich were, you know, 6th to 10th or, 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 you know, same again in mid-table, then, you know, they're probably tracking on that that path. But you know, I don't think many Norwich fans go into a season, oh, well, we'll, we'll forget the top six and we'll forget promotion. We're, we'll just, uh, we're just there for the ride. And we'll just, not given their recent history, not given the stated ambitions of this club to try and establish themselves in the Premier League, um, albeit in the very trying sort of, circumstances it would seem now in terms of their model compared to a lot of the other models that you see in the Premier League or maybe one model which is how deep are the owners pockets um, but that still has to be the aim that still has to if you're a, an aspirational championship club who get 26 27,000 you've got 22,000 or so season ticket holders who've had that time in the Premier League in, in recent years then surely you start every championship season thinking we need to be good enough to be in the conversation and it might not happen you might fall short but at least you should be feeling if you're an Norwich fan for me that um, we can we can prolong uh, a season of pushing for promotion um, and that doesn't feel like where this group is under this head coach at the minute and uh, as a result you know go back to my previous answer uh, David Wagner's future essentially will be wrapped up in where where the dial shifts and how quickly it shifts with Norwich's fan base and how they communicate that frustration. You know, we saw it visibly with Dean Smith towards the end of his tenure. Um, wasn't happening on the pitch, certainly wasn't happening off the pitch. Uh, and that built to a head and Boxing Day, Luton Town, um, Dean was no more. So, you know, we've, we've all we've all seasoned watchers have all seen how these these things begin to gather a momentum of their own and um, it's very hard to arrest it once that stone is rolling um, so you know I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say he's got X amount of games or he needs to pick up X amount of points or they need to be in X amount of positions in the league table but quite clearly um, if he isn't seeing the mood shifting a little bit and those players are not seeing it um, and that something needs to happen uh Away from home, I mean, we have to keep caveating that from from Carrow Road side of it, there's no problem whatsoever. But to be good at home and not good enough away from home, that's not a formula which gets you into the top six conversation. You see, dare I say, Ipswich now and, and how they're tracking on and the points that they've accumulated already. Leicester, I don't think they're going to be going away. Um, Middlesbrough seems to be getting things going now. Um, it's not enough to... Win, win your home games or don't get beat at home and, and continue serving up what they're serving up in these last three or four away games because come the turn of the year when maybe potentially a Barnes and a Sergeant are fit and available again, you're going to be too far adrift. So that ultimately, I think, and we'll get into maybe, as you say, in a separate pod, the, the Ben Napper dimension now, but that has to be the, the backstop to all of this in terms of David Wagner and his future is where are Norwich looking like as we progress between here and down to the end of the year in terms of in touch with a top six conversation? If they're in touch and in the arena around it and the results are patchy, but they're still accumulating enough in terms of points to be a viable 
part of that conversation for a top six place as we turn for 2024, then maybe he's 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 still in post and uh, and he's trusted to try and maintain that. But you know, if we get to I don't know into November and, and December and and they're further adrift and further adrift, and of course there's a certain Portman Road derby uh, just before Christmas as well. Um, then you know it's very hard to see how he remains in charge of Norwich City because he will be failing on his brief, which was and is and remains internally, externally, that Norwich have, are a justifiable candidate for promotion. And uh, you know, if that isn't the case, he's not delivering. He will have to go. In terms of the the current form table, because everyone everyone talks about how good Norwich City's start was, quite quite rightly. But as I said, we've we've had eleven games now, so you can kind of split the the campaign in, in half. So if we take the last five games, for example, if you take in that really good start that they had, unbeaten in in five games, you now look at what they've done. Obviously, subsequently in 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 those five games, it's one win, one draw, and three defeats. So that's that's four points over the last five games. I've got a league table here of of, of the last five games in front of me that would put Norwich City in 18th um, and only Blackburn, Watford, Rotherham, QPR and Sheffield Wednesday have taken fewer points in the last five games than Norwich. And interestingly, it puts them on a par with Alex Neal Stoke with uh, Huddersfield. Plymouth um, is is a good example, and 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 um, obviously you can you can look at some of the teams that they've they've got coming up. They've got Leeds who sit fifth in that table. They've taken ten from from their last uh, from their last five. Uh, Middlesbrough who've taken thirteen from their last five. They've won four on the bounce, and then Sunderland who uh, have have taken nine points from from their last five games. So it's a a testing run coming up. But I, I think I think that gets to the core of why, and I've seen this um, sort of put out there. As, as an argument and, and maybe look maybe it's maybe it's a fair one but people are looking at, at, at a league table which is always the best measure of, of these things and the championship table does make for good reading because Norwich City as it stands are seventh now I think if you'd have said to Norwich City fans after 11 games this season you will be seventh I think most of them would have taken that but I'm not sure how credible merely looking at a league table is and uh, which sounds like a, an odd statement but I'll, I'll explain why as it stands, Norwich are three points off Preston in, in third. So that 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 is a positive, undoubtedly. They're they're also, if you go the other way, um just trying to work it out, three points off Middlesbrough in sixth in uh, in sixteenth. So that to me suggests that we haven't got a league table that's settled yet. We haven't got a league table that you can really draw any conclusions of, maybe beyond the the top two and uh, and, and and perhaps the the bottom three at this moment in time. Uh, obviously, Ipswich and, and, and Leicester uh, now have, well, they're, they're, Ipswich are eight points clear of of Preston in third. Leicester are ten points of Preston in third. So those two, I think we can we can suggest are going to be uh, are going to stick around at, at that sort of stage of the division. The rest kind of feels like it's still up for grabs. We are seeing teams, I think, slowly beginning to improve. I mentioned Leeds, Sunderland. I know they got beat heavily on Saturday, but they've shown signs of of improvement. Um, you know, we mentioned Swansea, who've won their, their their last few games. Middlesbrough as well. Uh, Coventry, who who are uh, have only been beaten um, once at home. Who, who Norwich played. There are teams who are slowly beginning to improve after slow starts. And it, we speak about trajectories. This is why I think there's there's a lot of conversations about Norwich at the moment because a lot of teams are improving as this season has gone on. Norwich feel like they're they're regressing. So. That that that's kind of my take on the league tale. I don't know what you make of that, Paddy. I, I guess time will tell in terms of that regard. But I'm not sure we can draw much conclusions from the fact that as it stands, Norwich City sit in in seventh place because it still feels wide open. It feels kind of 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sure it's a league table that we can draw conclusions from after after 11 games. No, no, I, I, I really wouldn't be going down this route. There are X amount of points from third, but also from six. Because I recall, I think it was West Brom was the final away game of last season. And they still, before, yeah. that, before that game yeah. kicked off, they still were, were mathematically in with a shot of the top six. And they finished where they finished. Um, so, no, I'm, I, my measure is one win in six uh, all competitions. I think it's two wins in seven in the league. That is a body of work, which if it doesn't change and quickly, uh, home and away, um, then go and look at the league table again in another seven games. If they replicate that over the last seven games in the next seven, which, as you've rightly pointed out, some very tough games coming up now, um, then that league table will uh, unfortunately look a lot bleaker and they'll be a lot further nearer the bottom in terms of points differential than the top. So uh, for me, it's not about league table at this stage and saying, well, they're seventh and they're two, three points off Preston who were everybody's darlings in the early part of the season. They've obviously found it a little harder going of late, but um, but look look how in touch they are with the top end of the table. No, I think you go below that and you look at in the round, Yes, Norwich were excellent in that first six or seven game spell. They've been nowhere near it in the last six or seven. And yes, I know they're missing their two best strikers. Well, well just to, to just to pick you up on that point, because it, it is one that is kind of um, pushed forward in, in, in Wagner's defence, quite rightly, because you, you miss two players of the calibre of Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes. It's going to impact a team, but... Is it is it too simplistic? And and, I, and this is obvious to an extent because Norwich City had a really good start when they were in the team and they've dropped off massively when they haven't been in the team. So I understand why that's there. But is it too simplistic to say that this uh, kind of downward trajectory, this dip of performance that we're seeing is because those injuries have occurred? Is that too simplistic or are there other factors at, at play, do you feel? Well, it's the main, it's the primary factor. Let's, let's be honest about it. And it isn't just about, obviously, Sargent was weighing in with the goals, but relating it back to away and struggles away it's very clearly out of possession now they they look they look a different entity they're not and I've already mentioned it you go and look look back at the Southampton performance in terms of what they were doing out of possession look where the press was coming from look how high up they were turning the ball over we've not seen that at Rotherham at Plymouth we've not seen that at Swansea or Coventry in the round so yes there's absolutely no doubt taking those two out both in terms of the goal output with Sargent, but I think as importantly, out of possession, particularly away from home. Um, and and it goes back to my previous point, Ida isn't a similar type. I don't think Huang is a similar type. So then now, okay, you either sit there and say, well, well, it is what it is until those two come back, which David Wagner isn't doing. But what I'm not seeing is, because when I put it directly to him, it was, well, the players who are coming in know what's required and they will fit into that a, a strategy. Well, that, isn't working away from home. So if you're without two players, which you know when they're back, roughly, um, you've got a body of games to navigate between now and then, go away, come up with something else. Something else, you, you know, you've got these two weeks of headspace now. You can sit down with all your coaching staff um, in a bunker somewhere in Colney and uh, and don't re-emerge until you've found something with the available players you've got that is better in terms of structure when you go away from home. Because the last four away games probably are not anywhere near good enough and the results are going to match that. And if that doesn't change, then, you know, you would fear that to come, the, come the time around the turn of the year when Sargent and Barnes are both available, um, there'll be too much ground to make up. And uh, 
And if that's the case, then I'm not sure David Wagner will be the man to make that ground up. So, you know, for me, it's, it isn't simplistic to say you've lost two absolutely pivotal players in terms of the structure of the side. So, of course, there's going to be a dip. But does it need to go from unbeaten in six to one win in six? That, to me, is where in that space comes Wagner and his coaching staff to try and mitigate. Yes, you're probably not going to come up with something with the available personnel that would mirror the results and performances we were getting in the first six games. But it doesn't need to be that to keep him in and around it. It just needs to be better than the productivity they're producing at the moment. Um, and that is a challenge firmly at the door of David Wagner and his coaches. It is. Uh, so, so I saw an analogy yesterday. I can't remember who quite who made it, um, but it made me laugh. So I thought I'd share it in, in a moment of light. But um, they said Norwich City this season have been a bit like, you know, when you've got a marathon and uh, you've got all these professional like sp- uh, runners lining up on the start um, line and you have the one, like one guy from the, the public who decides that in the first 100 yards, he's going to sprint ahead of them and he, you know, earns a few claps and it, it all looks rather impressive. And then before long, he knows he can't maintain it and, and the others catch up with him. I quite enjoyed that as, a, as an analogy. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I can't remember who made it. So apologies, I can't credit you for that, but it did make me laugh on the way back uh, from, from Coventry yesterday. Um and, and I guess we, we do have to backdrop this, Paddy, with with where, and I, and I don't want to, again, because we're going to do a separate podcast on Ben Napper, I, I don't think we need to go into it too much depth, but I think it is pertinent to where Norwich City fans are at the moment because they are seeing a lots of change in, in lots of positions, um, sort of in the boardroom and uh, people in, in positions of power changing. We've obviously had the dynamic of the, the Atanasios. Their vote has been approved. We're now with the EFL to, to get that... Um, all kind of ratified and him up to 40% to become joint minority shareholder with, with Delia Smith and Michael Wynne-Jones. Um, new sporting director coming in as well. He doesn't enter the building until November the, the 27th. If this does go in a negative direction and, and this trend that we've spoken about, this one in six does maintain, they've got three very difficult fixtures. So I don't think it's beyond the realms of reality. And, um, you know, it, it probably raises questions about how Norwich City make decisions in terms of David Wagner, um, because who ultimately who is who is making it? It's it's a really difficult period that they're about to enter, aren't they? I think it's six games before Napa officially starts at Norwich City. Do do they? Is that enough? Do they have six games? Uh, I guess David Wagner has to try and, and he will know this himself. I'm sure he's very switched on. We. We we speak to him every every week, sometimes bi-weekly. He's he's no fool. He he knows the situation. He will have known the situation heading into this season. But does it raise questions for, for Norwich City if if this does turn south, if fans do turn in, in the way that you're talking? I understand we're kind of discussing in the realms of, you know, um hypothetical here, but do, I think there are fans raising this. So I think we, we probably do need to mention it. Well, it's inevitable they will, because you know, we're in a we're in a in terms of results and in a lot of the performances, it's a little bit of a rut. It feels it's stalled the season. The momentum's gone out of it. And as a result, the optimism is drained out of it as well. Um, you know, stop stop 10 fans walking away from the CBS arena yesterday and, and ask them for their, their hopes and expectation for Norwich and then rewind to 10 fans who were leaving Southampton that day. You know, it would have been, it'll, I would venture it'll be a dramatically different tone of conversation now and, and view. Um, and that's that is the nature of the business, isn't it? It's all about results. Um, so it's a fair point you make. It is six games between now and him officially taking over. 
Um, he has left Arsenal now, so I'm not sure whether, you know, I would imagine, given everything we're learning about him, he, I don't think he'll be just on a beach for six weeks and then he'll pitch up on the 27th and that'll be the first sort of time he looks seriously under the bonnet. I think he'll be doing plenty of uh, research now because that would seem to be the type of character he is and how he's plotted his career through, uh, you know, some impressive work at Arsenal. So I think he will hit the ground running, but... Uh, yeah, top of the intray. If the the last six form line in terms of results and um, points halls are replicated in the next six, then Norwich are going to be adrift. The Norwich are going to be adrift, and then you know, in very short order, they're going to have to make some decisions because you cannot let this season now drift back into where it ended last season. That's not going to be acceptable to anybody. The messaging will have to be clear and consistent. And you're right, they'll have to be joined up thinking as well because it isn't just the new sporting director. There is the elements around the ownership and the shifting shareholder mix. All that has to come together. We've got AGMs in this period now where we've got accounts coming out as well. There'll be a lot happening off the pitch um, and that will all, all flow into the feeling and the mood of the fan base around Norwich City and Norwich City's prospects for this season, but also um, moving forward. Because this isn't just about what happens on the pitch this season. In the here and now, it's about that. But who are the right people in the key positions to move it forward? And as I wrote in my point is yesterday, they need this guy to be a disruptor, as Stuart Webber was when he first came in initially at Norwich. And what he did put Norwich ahead of the curve. They were ahead of the footballing curve in a lot of respects. And that was obviously all came together in terms of that first title winning the championship against the odds. Um and against teams who had more maybe financial advantages than Norwich. This guy, they will hope, is cut from the same cloth and can disrupt as well. But that doesn't happen overnight. And there probably will be some pain in the short term. And there may be people who are shed as the journey progresses. So I think you have to you have to be careful to sort of uh, accelerate how things might happen when he when he puts his you know feet on the ground at Colney at the end of this uh, next month, sorry, as it will be. Um, but there's no doubt, you know, he will come in and he, I'm sure he will have his medium to longer term objectives. But if he comes in and Norwich in the next six games have done what they've done in the last six games, then there's absolutely no doubt the priority will be what happens to David Wagner. An issue that I, I think David Wagner has, and I don't think it's all of his own making. I think there's there's partially elements that, that are. I think there's there's obviously probably wider club messaging. That, that, that we and we spoke about this a little bit t t towards the back end of, of last season when it when it was all pertinent. But I, th I think if I'm a, a Norwich fan at the moment and I'm looking on the pitch, I just I don't really see lo any any long term messaging there in terms of um, you know what is a David Wagner side building to? What what are those players on the pitch building to? I don't think it's helped that obviously they've gone down the road they have with recruitment because you you head down a more experienced path. And you don't get a period that allows you to have a run of form like this because people expect that if you go down that route, you're doing that to win and you're doing that to win now. And that was kind of the message that, that David Wagner had in the summer and the others had in the summer as well. Whereas, you know, someone yesterday said to me, oh, it's a bit like Daniel Farker's first season in charge. Um, and I don't really think it is because there was there was an element there of Norris. This is this is our guy. This is the head coach. We're getting behind him. This is what we're building towards. You don't get that sense with David Wagner, even from a contractual situation. He's on a rolling deal. Um, he's got an, an older squad. It's the fourth oldest squad in, in in the championship as it stands. There is an expectation if you head down that route, you need to win. So I don't think Norwich fans are looking at this and and, and thinking, oh well, yeah. If we just bite our lip and we uh, take the pain of this period 
then in six months, 12 months, two years, this football club is going to be off. We're going to be off. You don't get that sense. And I, I don't think that, and again, that's not all of his own making. It's not completely a criticism of him, but that that kind of doesn't feel like it's, it's particularly helping him at the moment. Well, I mean, the Farker parallel, I mean, it's worth pointing out, the start of that second season that ended in glory, they lose that derby at Ipswich in September. He's gone. He's gone mm-hmm. because it, it results off the back of finishing 15th and below Ipswich in that debut season. It's all about results. That's the bottom line. That's what fans buy into and that's what people in positions of power in football clubs buy into. Um, yes, of course, you want you want the, the aesthetically pleasing football and the entertainment. Of course you do. But if he was grinding out uh, 1-0 after 1-0 after 1-0 and Norwich were up where Ipswich are on the table, hot on the heels of Leicester, we wouldn't be discussing his future, would we? There'd be no discussions about not happy with X or Y or not happy with recruitment. It, it, strip it all back. It's about results. And you're right, by bringing in the profile of player they brought in in the summer, it was all about immediate results in terms of this season. It's not, you don't bring Ashley Barnes, Shane Duffy, uh, Danny Bart in recent times and and and, and, that, and that's that. And that's the point. It doesn't it buy you time. It doesn't buy you time if you, if you no. go down that route, does it, as a coach? But I mean, or a football club. this time aspect, Connor, he's had, he was in, he's been in the building nine, ten months now. I know that's punctuated by a summer break, but um, you know he has, he's had more than enough time to put in place the structures he wanted to put in place. He had a full preseason to work with them, um, and get really definitively get his philosophy across, get the cultures across that he wanted, what he's trying to do in and out of position. All of that should be there. And I think to be fair to him on that point, because that was what was thrown at him towards the end of last season, what is a David Wagner team? What are they striving to do? I think now that's less of a, a debating point for me. We can see what they're trying to do. Um, it's working at Cara Road, no doubt. It was working away from home to start with. It isn't working now so much. So he needs to nuance it. He needs to refine it for me. it's I don't think it's a case of, like Dean Smith before him, what on earth are we seeing from a Norwich team week to week? What are they trying to do? How are they trying to navigate championship games of football as it was second time around for Dean? Um, there's far there's far more structure to to a, what David Wagner's trying to do. It's just not working away from home now. In the last four away games, particularly, it's just not working. So, and and again, we can't we can't say well it's because there's no sergeant, there's no Barnes. We know that he knows that his coaches know that the players who are fit and available know that Adam Eder knows that. So come up with something else. Let's reinvent it a touch. Let's find something that can bridge to the point where those two are back in the fold and then we'll see if they can pick up where they left off. Um, so, you know, ultimately, it, it, it it's going to rest on can they start to pick up results of football. If they don't do that, then change change will come. That's inevitable. Indeed. And and the five games that they've got after the international break, we kind of teed the, the three up earlier. Daniel Far- a small matter of Daniel Farker's return at Carroll Road uh, after the international break, which is going to be uh, well, quite something, I think. Then, then Norwich hosts Middlesbrough three days later at Carroll Road. Then there's a trip to Sunderland uh, on the 28th of October. Then home games, uh, a home game, sorry, against Blackburn before they head away to Cardiff on the 11th of November, heading into then what would be the November international break. And that is when, obviously, uh, post that international break, Ben Napper starts in his post when Ashley Barnes is due to return uh, and, and all of those elements. And it's worth noting as well that uh, David Wagner, and, and we've spoken about the injury aspect, and I think that that is a tough hand that he's been dealt. And, and maybe, you know, you could argue that coaches um, have to deal with, with, with that to an extent. Um 
but after after this break, it is hoped that Norwich City will have Borja Science back, Marcelino Nunez back, Jakob Sorensen back. Uh, who else am I missing? I don't know if I'm missing anyone there, but certainly those three. Nuno, um, you said Nunez, he's gone. Yeah, Nunez, yeah, yeah. Jaden Warner, another one who impressed at Fulham. But um, yeah, so whether he comes into his thinking or not, he will have options to to come back. Just finally then, because uh, we always like to... I started the show on a positive note, I think. And uh, <laughs> let's end it on a positive note as well. John Rowe, seven in in 11 games now. Quite a remarkable, uh, <clears throat> sorry, rise for him. But also that, that call-up to the England under-21 squad, Paddy. It's um, it's remarkable considering by the time Norwich City kick-started the season, that was his first ever competitive start in, uh, in, in professional football. 11 games later, international uh, recognition, accolades... It's um, it's quite amazing what what he's doing at the moment. Yeah, and maybe you know to to bring it back to this this sort of theme of this discussion about Wagner, and it can change quickly. I mean, you talked about the players who might be available the other side of the international break. Grant Hanley he threw in yesterday, um, not too far away from team training. I think probably dialed down expectations. That it'll be in the heart of Norwich's defence for for Leeds's visit, but um, but but if he's willing to publicly offer that up, they clearly feel he's. Maybe ahead of schedule because I think originally they were fearing it might be 2024 before we saw him. So, yeah, John John Rowe's um, soaring trajectory does underline that things can change. They can turn again quickly, and it's a credit huge credit to him. I I did think a little bit like with Norwich recently. Maybe there was a bit of a lull and things had dipped for him a little bit, which was inevitable. You know, teams were setting up clearly to nullify him because his reputation was starting to precede him. He was having to deal with that. I'm sure the closer attentions of opposition defenders, um, but he's come roaring back, hasn't he? You know, with a goal or two in in the recent games and uh, he must just go on the pitch in contrast maybe to some of his teammates at the minute, just full of confidence and expecting good things to happen. And what a great headspace to be in because he's, you know, he had essentially a season written off through injury, really. So he's had to deal with that. He's spoken candidly about what a challenge that was for him. But he's grown. He's learnt. He's learnt. He's come out the other side of it. And um, you know, David Fahona was talking up not just his goal, but he, there was an excellent block on Jay De Silva in the second half, early in the second half. And uh, you know that that he's doing that work for the team as well, that defensive side of it. And the challenge is now maintain it and push on again. And if he does that, the fact that he's getting international recognition now, that's only going to uh, embellish his, his soaring reputation. If you look at some of the other players that are in that England setup, that young lion setup, and uh you know, yeah, it feels that like maybe the Norwich season is is sort of tracking south a little bit and there's a bit of frustration there, but but there is a success story, absolutely. And um he's a he's a shining light at the minute and uh you just hope that, for me, it's science as well. If they can keep him fit, get him fit and keep him fit, I think he's that similar type of somebody who can spark something. And, and it's just a lot to put all the onus on them, John Rowe at the minute, but, but that it doesn't look like a burden to him. You know, seven goals in 13 is a tremendous output beyond anybody's expectations, I would imagine, even if you spoke to David Wagner in a quiet moment before a ball had been kicked this season. But... He needs help. He needs backup. And and I think in science, it, 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 from the little bits we've seen of him, he seems to be cut from a similar cloth. Um, I mean, they linked up for science's goal at Fulham. And, you know, this this kind of quest now to try and find something at the top end of the pitch, particularly in a post-Barnes and Sargent period. I just hope Bolhar Science is part of that equation because, um, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's fair to expect John Rowe to shoulder it alone now, you know. Puerta isn't really stepping up in terms of that real 
quality uh, operator in terms of goals and assists in the final third. On El Hernandez isn't really threatening to be that. Tony Spring, it's getting a bit of first team exposure, but doesn't look like he, he's that type of player. Fashion act has fell back, it, it has to be said, you know, and that's been, you know, underlined by him coming out of the starting 11. So, yeah, John Rowe needs some backup. And I'm just hoping the other side of the break at Borja Science is, is the answer. You mentioned the break. How are you? Uh, how are you going to be spending it, Paddy? Uh, not too much happening in this one. Yeah, went away. I think in the last international period, but uh, probably just trying to avoid the COVID because there seems to be a lot of it about at the moment. I know one or two people who've uh, unfortunately gone down with it again. So yeah, staying staying out of uh, large crowds might be all I'm going to do this fortnight. I don't think there's too much else on the horizon city wise. We potentially might have a chat with uh, Paul Clements to keep the coach um, potentially but uh, other than that I think we'll just be ticking it over and um, and then give it a week and uh, and then it'll be all about Mr Farker's uh, return I know he said homecoming but he's it, we won't we won't cut him any of that slack it'll be making sure it's an uncomfortable return to Norfolk for him what about you my man uh not traveling anywhere <laughs> after after what the last 10 days have, have been like uh, it'd be nice just to catch up on some sleep and uh and and go at a bit of a slower pace so uh yeah and then we're, we're straight back in it with five games and then we we get another break in in november and there's uh you know all sorts of birthday shenanigans then that i have to deal with so um yeah it's uh it's it's going to be a busy period on and off the pitch, which seems like an apt place to end the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, you can let us know your thoughts as well, uh, be that on whichever, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can let us know in the comments below. You can get in touch with us on social media via email. You know where uh, where we are now if you uh, if you want to get in touch. And um, and we will see you uh, very soon, actually, for the, the Ben Napper pod that we're going to record later this week. So keep your eye out for that. Pinkin.com, the place to go for all of the analysis, reaction, fallout to... Uh, Saturday's 1-1 draw against Coventry and uh, we will see you in the next one. Enjoy the international break.